I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Oh, hello, Keegan. Hello, Madigan. How are you doing today? Well, we already covered a lot of this, but I'll tell the listeners, I am completely burned. Uh, My back and my legs are completely fried. Um, I laid out social distance style with my two best friends yesterday, and we all got completely fried. So... I am here to be your sunscreen advocate. Yes. As a melanin-blessed individual, uh, I still wear sunscreen like every time I leave my house, even when I'm going on my balcony to garden. That's I put really it on smart. My face and neck, just because I'm like, well, it's probably actually more vanity than anything else. I'm like afraid the sun is trying to age me. So oh, <laughs> that's funny. Put on tons of sunscreen. That um, is funny. Here, really quick, I got to show you the picture of Caitlin. It's a naked butt, I warn you, but look at that. Oh, wow. What a tan. <laughs> it's it's burn. Like, it looks tan, and she's got, like, a darker, like, kind of complexion, complexion. under her whiteness, you know? So she tans really, really well. Uh, my best friend Katie is the worst off. I'm sure she's just peeling today straight up. She's a ginger, so... Her skin I've is only very sensitive. Burned a couple of times, and they were such miserable experiences for me that I would never like. 
I cannot. If I knew I was like prone to burning, oh my God. Yeah. You know, burning was like part of my childhood. I was so used to it. Like it were Irish people. You know, my mom's got more of like an olive tone skin. So she wouldn't burn as easily. But my mom would like wear like baby oil and go lay out in the sun. Like it was not like, yes, she told me to wear sunscreen. And when I was little, she would put it on me. But it wasn't like talked about that often. Now, granted, my mom has had some skin cancer removed now that she's older. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, wearing baby oil and going into the sun gives me intense anxiety. I did it too. I did it too. I remember wearing it wasn't baby oil, but it was like some sort of like tanning oil. But in Minnesota, also you have to realize the sun isn't as strong as it is here. Uh, so here it's like it would be insane for me to do that. I was telling Keegan, I think I was exposed without sunscreen for maybe a half an hour and that's all it took so yeah um i'm paying the price a bit today but i don't have to go anywhere which is perfect so i can just stay home and stay hydrated and that's right talk about nipples some aloe vera yeah let's talk about nipples keegan let's do it so uh, today we are going to be talking about um free the nipple and also kind of the history behind the sexualization of women's breasts, etc. Yeah. So I yeah. know that Madigan did a lot of research um, about the history of women's breasts and sexualization. Do you want to go yeah. into that a little bit? I would love to. So I also just want to say, like, I had thought of Free the Nipple because Free the Nipple is the campaign that I know the most about. That's the thing that's happening right now. But as I was doing research, I was finding all of its predecessors in this history and the reason why Free the Nipple is so important and also what people take from different parts of the Free the Nipple campaign as well. It's interesting. So let's go back in time. Let's go back to the 15th century. If you guys follow us on Instagram, which if you don't, you really should, we posted a photo of a woman named Agnes Sorel uh, sometime earlier this week or last week, something like that. It's a photo of a woman and her dress uh, is cut in a way that one of her breasts is, is exposed. So she was the first ever titled mistress. So this king, I didn't write down who he was, but he left his wife uh, for his mistress. So she was like this, the first official mistress, whatever. Uh, she died under mysterious circumstances at the age of 28 years old, which I'm not going to get into, but I want to get into another time. Um, but not before she popularized the nipple. So since she was the second wife to the king, her presence was not always welcome and her fashion choices especially uh, made her even more of an outcast. She was known for her very large breasts and she was not afraid to flaunt them. She would keep her bodice unlaced so that her breasts would be easily exposed. Um, However, it wasn't really her boobies that upset these aristocrats. It was the diamonds she wore because uh, I guess years and years ago it had been prohibited for anybody to wear diamonds except for the king and here's this woman tits out wearing diamonds an icon truly feminist icon truly an icon that's why I'm like I want to get more into this woman she sounds fascinating to me so but that was really the big thing is that the jewelry that she was wearing was really the the thing that made them clutch their pearls, you know, no pun intended. Um, but thanks to Agnes, by the 16th century, necklines began to lower and lower and it was common for fashion uh, and it was common fashion for breasts to be exposed in public. So even girls at a very young age would wear these very like kind of not plunging necklines the way we think of it today, but almost like a really wide scoop neck that went pretty low. Uh, And it was very common to have dresses 
that would like just sit right above. And the thing is that they would wear corsets, but they would leave the tops untied, much like Agnes did, so their breasts could easily fall out of their tops. Right. Well, I think people oftentimes think of like 18th century when they think of those like corsets that sit very low, pretty much just right above the nipples and then the breasts are pushed up. Exactly. Um, So it was the 18th century when they started covering the nipple a bit more. But in the 17th century, it was actually really, really common still to have nipples be on display. Nipple spillage was very common. It was a common occurrence, not just for, you know, queens and courtiers, but also for women of everyday society. Like the peasants. In what, in what country, though? Uh, I, th- I believe this is mostly European countries. Um, but because there were like different European countries were far more puritanical than other European countries. Like I know in England, for instance, like things were far, far more covered up and um, like a, a lot less things were exposed. Well, but yes, it's, it's it largely was- due to like religious reasons. When Christian missionaries uh, started coming to different places was when uh, modesty kind of started coming into trend. But I think a lot of this, like when we're talking about the Renaissance era in the 17th and 18th centuries in certain parts of Europe, it's usually discussed in much more of like an aristocratic group. But in the 17th century, it did kind of start spilling into everyday occurrences. The everyday woman would uh, be wearing outfits that would invite the nip to slip, you know? It was just, it was totally cool at the time. And actually, uh, in the 17th century, it was more common in portraits to see a woman's exposed breast than it would be to see something like a knee or an ankle. Like, that was completely taboo. But painting a portrait of a woman bare-chested wasn't. It was seen as much more normal. So, also in the paintings... uh, they like to exhibit one's youthful looking breast because that implicated the innocence and purity of the woman who hadn't yet nursed a child and therefore, in theory, hadn't been deflowered. So there was something with this young, virginous, breasted portrait. And then there was the other, uh, like if you were more of a fully developed woman, it would symbolize high birth and strong moral character. Okay, good boobs do not indicate that you have not had sex. That's not how that works. At all. Um, So first of all, that. (laughs) And when you said that, I don't know, for for some reason, I thought you meant like the one youthful breast. It's like you you show off your youthful breast as opposed to your other one, which is like your aged breast. (laughs) We all have a favorite, don't we? You know what? I feel like I do. Yeah. I have a favorite. I always forget which one's bigger, but I have... I prefer one over the other. One of my nipples is more proportional, and I like that one better. One of my nipples used to be completely, not completely inverted, but pretty inverted at the very top. And as the years have gone on, it's slowly kind of like gone away. Mm Mm-hmm. So that used to be kind of my, it was never super obvious to anyone but me, but that was kind of my shameful nipple, and now I think both my nipples are are beautiful. But I do have a favorite boob, I just don't know which one it is. Me neither. Right now they both... Off off the top of my head. Yeah, right now they both feel pretty good. Um, All right, so in the 18th century, Voltaire's mistress, Emily du 
Chatelet, let's say Chatelet, was an intellect and fashionista of her time. She was famous for rouging her nipples and wearing flamboyant low-cut dresses. And by the 18th century, the dresses started to cut right above the nipple to add a sense of allure, making the occasional nip slip all the more exciting to those around them. So it was almost kind of like, it seems like in this area and in this time period, it kind of started to become more sexual as it went on. Because we're talking about the 16th, 17th century, talking about how it means like uh, being very moral if you're an older woman or it means being youthful and virginous when you're young. And now we're in the 18th century where women are starting to kind of like toy with the minds of men a little bit. They're starting to cut their dresses just right above where it's they're still going to get a nip slip a day at least. It's like it's bound to happen. But now it's like that anticipation of will we or will we not see it, you know? It's kind of yes. become more sexual a bit, you know? Yes. So toplessness uh, was considered the norm all over the world until the arrival of Christian missionaries, as I had such a hard time speaking earlier. Um, but it remains to be the norm for many indigenous cultures today. Like in India, before the Muslim conquest, women were topless. Their lower bodies were covered with an antria. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. And they wore lots of jewelry. So... Like I said, there was the Muslim conquest, which changed that. And in the Middle East, toplessness has not been socially accepted since approximately the 7th century because of Islamic standards of female modesty. So in the Middle East, it is not, it hasn't been common for women to go topless in a really long time. You have to go kind of back to like the Egyptian times and the times of pharaohs and things like that to see uh, toplessness occurring more often in that area. Right. Well, I see modesty tied with morality in a lot of religions. I think that that's kind of what we're getting at here. It's not necessarily a Christian thing or a Muslim thing or a Jewish thing. It's a religion thing more than anything else. Um, Yeah. Because, you know, we've talked many times about having an episode about um, modesty and kind of the myths surrounding the modesty principle um, because modesty being tied into morality is just ridiculous. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today as we talk about the free the nipple movement. Exactly. So in Africa, women of Southern Ethiopia and other traditional groups in Africa, it is still the social norm to be bare breasted in lots of areas. Toplessness is also an important part of cultural celebrations there as well. The Red Dance Festival involves mature girls between the ages of 16 and 20 to dance topless for the Zulu King, which sounds like a really good time. I would dance topless for the Zulu King. It truly is. He's called the Zulu King. Like, he sounds (laughs) rad. Um, So, yes, as time goes on, we start to kind of see this emergence of indecent exposure. Um, It's actually really interesting because until the 1930s, both men and women were expected to bathe and swim in swimsuits that covered their torso and their chest. They had to be completely covered when they went swimming. But mobs of men in, I believe it was Atlantic City, started showing up topless in protest and they oh oh are you saying they started a free the nipple movement they sure did Keegan 
They sure did. And they were incredibly successful. Within a very short period of time, it became very normal for men to go without their shirts. And men started wearing just their swim trunks. And just like that, you know, it became completely normal and another little fun fact that I read about just in the indecent exposure Wikipedia page in general because they talk about all different kinds of exposure but they also said that belly buttons were indecent until the 1960s and 70s so what you're saying is modesty in terms of morality is a social construct based on gender actually exists yeah it's it's a gender biased construct that's all it is and that's why I thought it was so important to talk about the history and how our nipples in particular have gone from being uh, something of innocence and purity and morality and just part of a woman's nature in their body into something that slowly became more sexual, more suggestive. Uh, and nipples in general, modesty became very, very important and everybody started covering up. So when the 1900s started coming around and we started taking our clothes off, it was much easier for men to be able to gain uh respect while being mostly in the nude than it would be for women. Right. And then there's also this consistent historical um, benchmark for controlling women's bodies. Right. We see it all the time when we talk about abortion. Very often, that's something that we talk about is the desire for men in particular to control women's bodies. Um, But this is really just another part of that conversation. Um, This desire to, because you feel sexually attracted to this part of a woman's body that is not a sexual organ, that we should then have to cover it up. Exactly. Well, and the next topic that I had here is about the nipple bra in the 1970s. So when you look at the 1970s, the nipple kind of made a bit of a comeback and there was a bra that had nipples built in and the slogan for it was that uh here it said it had built-in nipples so women could have that sensual cold weather look all the time oh like you're on the set of friends like you're on the set of friends exactly they they talk about that in sex in the city as well there's a sex in the city episode with the um, fake nipples yes because that was kind of like a trend that came back in the 90s you watch any episode of friends you could have a drinking game if you're binging several episodes of Friends about um, take a shot every time you see Rachel or Monica's nipples showing. Oh, yeah, it's a lot. Uh, And so in an episode of Sex and the City, Samantha was talking about basically like sticky fake nipples that you adhere to your chest um, to get that kind of like cold weather look, as you said, um, that made a revival in the 1970s. So there is this... We equate also like hard nipples with sexual arousal for Mm -hmm. obvious reasons. Um, Of course, they can also become hard if it's cold. Or Um, if I just brush my arm over them. Like my nipples are precarious. I never know when they're going to just say hello to the world. And I don't typically wear padded bras. So it is uh, something that I have to be aware of. But you have to be aware of it for the comfort of other people. Like, that's the thing is that I very often, my breasts are small enough that I don't typically wear a bra or if I do, I'll wear something that is like a bralette unless I'm going to work or something like that. And so very, very often my nipples are visible through my clothes. It's not something that I'm ever concerned about except if I'm around people who I'm working with or something like yeah. that. Like See, there is this societal societal pressure to 
make sure your nipples are covered up in a professional setting. It's deemed like unprofessional. Yeah, I I take my bra off the second I get home. Um, but you know, I I don't typically wear bras before I was working with kids or when I wasn't working with kids and doing other jobs. I typically wouldn't wear bras uh, when I was at Starbucks. I think I probably did. But the thing is, is that as my breasts got bigger, it wasn't even so much about the fact that you could see my nipples. It was the fact that you could, I felt like you could see everything if I'm not wearing a bra at all with certain shirts like it's just very obvious to me that you can see all of my boobs and my nipples and it's like it's not something that I care about and if I'm with my friends and stuff it's fine but I'm very self-conscious about one making other people feel uncomfortable or two being harassed and that was the other thing during the 1970s is that this was a time when the feminist movement was really uh the second wave was coming to its height and it was this weird thing between women wanting to uh express their bodies and show their bodies and be accepted like that there was also this fear of harassment and many many women wasn't many nipples many women started covering up their nipples in order to avoid harassment and in the 90s that's when the wonder bra came out and we started seeing the fully padded bra to start disguising our nipples entirely and honestly giving our boobs a completely different shape an unnatural shape yeah i mean not entirely unnatural maybe for certain individuals right but certain breasts sit that way but most do not um and i would say the fear of harassment is valid and a good reason to cover your breasts if that's something that you fear unfortunately that's something that we experience as women every day as far as making other people uncomfortable and this is something that like we are going to talk about as we get into the free the nipple movement a little bit more um i I don't know why I I never really cared about making other people uncomfortable uh, in my body, because if you're uncomfortable with my body, that sounds like a you problem, like not a me problem. You know, know for me, for me, it got it got more difficult as I started developing, especially because I've had issues with my body in the past. I'm I think I'm very hyper aware of how I believe people perceive my body when I was in high school they called me mosquito bites I had no boobs I didn't have to worry about bras but I wore padded bras to make myself look bigger because I was so insecure about having no boobs and then when I you know went on birth control my boobs got a little bigger and then I was anorexic for years I had no boobs and then when I recovered I went from like a double a to a d in three months And all of a sudden, I had full breasts. And I'd never had that before in my life. And I suddenly, it it was a really weird thing for me to start caring more. Because before, I wanted bigger boobs. I wanted to show them off. And now I struggle because it's like I'm worried about sexualizing myself and making myself a target for people. When before, I thought a lot like you did, Keegan, where I was like, fuck it, it's my body, I don't care. But once I started getting boobs, it started making me feel more scared. Right. No, like I said, I think that the fear of harassment is completely valid. And honestly, whatever feelings that you have about it is Or like making people uncomfortable. But I would challenge you and other people who feel that way about making other people uncomfortable to reframe your thought process on that. Because first of all, you can't control what other people are feeling. And as we're going to get into different things, make different people uncomfortable for a variety of reasons. So, I mean, I would just say like, 
they need to own their feelings about your breasts. You don't need to take on the burden of owning their feelings about your breasts. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like I, I, it totally makes sense to me. And that is it's what I believe in every other aspect of my body. But there's something with my boobs where like I just feel uncomfortable, like even on well, Zoom sure. with my friends, if I'm wearing a shirt where I'm like, there's no pattern or anything on it. And I feel like you can just see my nipples and my boobs. I'm like, I worry. Do I look like I'm trying to show them off? Do I look sure? You know, all of these but you inner know monologue things that I it's, think in my head. It's undoing <laughs> centuries of conditioning, um, centuries of it's morality true. policing of women's bodies. And it's totally valid for you to feel that way. I remember when Free the Nipple first started or it started picking up traction and I started seeing it. And I remember being scandalized by it and thinking like, why is this something that we need to legitimize or, you know, push towards the mainstream? Like, why does it matter so much? Why can't we just cover up? And it's the principle of it now that yeah. I, I come, I've come to understand that it is the principle of telling women that this part of their body is sexual and not meant to be seen. Exactly. Um, so I think that those feelings are totally normal and valid. Um, and I'm not saying not to have them. I don't want it to come across that of I'm like not. preaching in that way. No. I'm just saying maybe when those feelings come up, just as with anything else, we should stop and examine that feeling and consider why we're, we're having it. Like, is it a feeling that we would have if not for decades or centuries of social conditioning that yeah. have made us feel that way about our breasts. Well, you know? and that's a, that's a great way of putting it. And, you know, luckily we, we have organizations like Free the Nipple. And before Free the Nipple, there was Top Freedom. And before there was Top Freedom, there was the Top Free Seven in 1992. They were arrested for taking their tops off and exposing their breasts at a park in Rochester, New York. Luckily, the judge sided with the women, stating that including women's breasts under private, intimate parts of her body created a clear gender-biased classification. They were dismissed by the state of appeals. However, no laws changed. Instead, the judge told the women that they had the right to go topless as protest, but not at their leisure. Okay, so this is kind of an interesting segue into the Free the Nipple movement. So I would say probably nowadays, especially people our age um, and younger, they are probably the most familiar with the Free the Nipple movement as a campaign that advocates advocates for um, women to be able to expose their breasts. So right. this campaign that we know as Free the Nipple, it was effectively started in 2012 when filmmaker Lena Esco was in pre-production on a movie of the same name. The movie is called Free the Nipple. I watched the trailer for it. I wasn't able to find it. Um, things come up that are like Free the Nipple Netflix, but I didn't find it on Netflix. Interesting. Um, but... It was set to release in 2014. And so she started posting teaser clips with the hashtag free the nipple in the description. So the movie, uh, if you watch the trailer, is basically all about this this concept that women should be allowed to go topless in public um, and that not being allowed to do that is a form of gender discrimination. And exactly. so these women kind of they create this group um, and they use 
lawyers and graffiti and other movements to try and advocate for top freedom, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, it really all started with her just posting these clips as like teasers for this documentary to kind of get people excited and see what it was all about. And she would document herself running around New York City doing everyday things while topless and getting and seeing the reactions of people around her and things like that. So she started posting these uh, videos to like Facebook and YouTube and things like that. So I saw that on the Wikipedia page that it said documentary, but I wasn't able to find a Free the Nipple documentary. So the film that she actually put out was a scripted film, full-length feature with actors. So maybe she also had a documentary, or maybe that was... I I don't... I I wasn't able to find it. Maybe they meant by documentary that she was... That these were like mini documentaries of her documenting yes. what she like. That's kind of what I think they mean. Because yes. I was confused I think by they that were too. Documentary style teasers for yes. this feature film. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think she ever put out like a full length um, documentary or anything like that. No, but this but this got a lot of traction because she was posting these videos online of her running around New York City topless. Right, so it got and a lot of that, attention. That idea is very sensationalized very um, so. for reasons that we've just discussed. Uh, the sexualization of women's breasts. It is scandalous. It is taboo for a woman to be walking around with her nipples exposed. So Facebook did later delete those clips for violating their community guidelines. I think they left them up for a little while before um, eventually choosing to delete them. And so she started putting them up in 2012 and it was 2013 that they removed them. So I don't know how much time there was that they were actually up Right. And then when the film came out in 2014, she stated that she had a very difficult time um, finding people to show her movie. She was having a difficult time um, getting sponsors, getting places to actually screen the film, which to me is so strange that they wouldn't show this film when if we see a woman's body naked in a sexual situation, those movies don't have trouble selling. You can oh, yeah. find that anywhere. That's you see boobs all over if you watch Game of Thrones. I was just gonna say look at Game issue. of Thrones. <laughs> right. Yeah. All of that stuff's not issue not an issue. And even if we tie in women's nudity with sexual violence in horror movies or in any other type of movie, that is acceptable. Right. But trying to sell a movie that had a political message around women's breasts was very difficult yeah and so because that's that that message i think for a lot of people is seen as dangerous if we are normalizing nipples or if we're discussing them in any way that isn't sexual that is uh i think dangerous to a lot of conservative communities they don't want that to become the norm and a lot of these big companies that are going to be paying for this movie to be made and put into theaters that's that's a risk for them to be putting their necks out on the line. Right. And I would go even a step further and say not just conservative communities, but men in general. Right. Because we've already discussed that this is an effort by men to control women's bodies. Mm-hmm. So this movie really had the underlying or very not even underlying overt message that women should be able to control their own bodies, Mm -hmm. which can be seen as kind of a threatening radical message. So because of all of these issues that she was having, these things are being taken down on Facebook. She's having trouble selling this film and she's being very vocal about her issues um, with this. 
a lot of attraction began to build around this hashtag free the nipple movement. And so a lot of celebrities on Instagram in particular, that platform, because of course, it's a very visual platform. Um, You know, people like Rihanna and Miley Cyrus started posting pictures with their nipples exposed with hashtag free the nipple. And I think that's when it really started to take off um, as far as like, that's when I started to notice it. That's when I started to read about it. This was not something that had occurred to me (laughs) Yeah. At all. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't know about it at all until I started seeing celebrities doing this. And, uh, you know, Lena Esco started kind of getting some some fame as well with these celebrity backers, you know, behind her and everything like that. I actually read an amazing Time article uh, that was written by a woman named Rachel Kramer Bustle. And I actually quoted her a lot in her writing in my notes because she was fantastic in this article. Uh, but Esco told Time magazine... Being topless is what we had to do to start a real dialogue about equality. This is not about being topless. This is about equality. It's about having that choice. A lot of people are not informed about the equal pay thing. Women still get paid 78 cents for every dollar a man makes, but very few people know about this. If there's a group of girls running around topless all over the United States rallying for equal pay, then it would be making headline news, don't you think? So I have a few thoughts about this. I think that she makes a really, really good point about creating um, a place for starting a dialogue about equality and why women's nipples are uh, criminalized and men's are not and so on and so forth. When she starts talking about making it a political statement about the pay gap, um, I think that starts to pull away a bit from the initial uh, goal. And I think it also starts trying to say that nipples shouldn't be sexualized at all. And that's something that I kind of had to think about as well is that there is something about, you know, the way that we show and use our nipples is that of our own choice. And I think that's what she was meaning to say and then kind of went off the rails a little bit. Well, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with just saying that, yes, this is about women being topless. I don't think she needs to qualify it that way. I feel like maybe she felt urged to say this is about women's equality and not just about women going topless, but it can be about equality and be about women being able to be topless because the fact that when this first came up, first of all, it's not anything that I had really thought about. And when I, I did think about it, my initial response was to be like, I don't feel like this is necessary because I had been socially conditioned to believe that breasts were sexual. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think creating a dialogue around that can be your goal. Exactly. <laughs> you know and what I mean? I don't think it needs to be. It doesn't have to else, be anything else. It doesn't else. have to be. Yeah, the author Rachel Kramer Bustle says in this article, Free the Nipple is part of a larger mission to reclaim women's bodies sexually and safely at a time when all are under attack in various ways. And I like that she that she was um, kind of exploring the different ways that um, we can reclaim our, our nipples. We can rename them. We can reclaim them sexually. We can reclaim them um, as being non-sexual things. And we can choose when we want them to be sexual and when we want them to not be sexual. Well, and that's the same with men. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more as we move through. But to act as though women's breasts are sexual and men's breasts are not is a completely flawed way to to look at this. So 
um, let's move in a little bit more and talk a little bit more about this free the nipple movement. Yeah. So in March of 2016, during uh, the presidential primary, there were two students, Tiernan Hebron and Annie Ma, who were arrested in Los Angeles for appearing at a Bernie Sanders rally topless except for tape that was covering their nipples, um, which, by the way, not topless. If your nipples are covered, which is this is also part of this argument. If your nipples are covered... How is that any different than anything you would see in a Victoria's Secret ad? How is that any different? Why is that so offensive? It doesn't seem to be freeing the nipple to me. Because it's well, the nipples are... No, it is. But, I, but like the reason that they were arrested seems a little bit dumb to me. Because oh, absolutely. Because it really is very similar. And when I was in Lake Havasu for the 4th of July a couple of years ago... All you saw were pasties. I was wearing a bikini and I was the most covered up on that beach or on that lake. It was crazy. Right. Yeah. So they had the words free the nipple, equality and feel the burn written across their chest. They were not charged with a crime, but they were held for 25 hours before being released. So they were held in jail for over a day um, before being released, which is ridiculous. They weren't charged with anything. That's insane. So upon release, Annie Ma filed a federal lawsuit with the Los Angeles Police Department. And she said that her action was not lewd because mammary glands are not sexual organs, as we've discussed, but rather have the purpose of breastfeeding children and said that she believed that she um, did not at any point show her genitals or private parts. Her attorney claimed that she was never nude and that California's indecent exposure law applies only to genitals, not to breasts. Her lawsuit also alleged that her constitutional rights had been violated, that she had been subject to unlawful gender discrimination, and that federal civil rights laws had been violated. So I wasn't able to find any information about the results of this case. However, um, I was able to find a court of appeals record for Annie Ma the city of Los Angeles for March 2019. So I don't know if this was an appeal of this case or another case because she was arrested again. But I'm going to read an excerpt from this court of appeals record. So it says, Ma argues that the district court erred in granting summary judgment to the individual officers because they violated her constitutional right to be free from false arrest. In the context of an unlawful arrest, officers are entitled to qualified immunity if it is at least reasonably arguable that there was probable cause for arrest. Here, the officers had reasonably arguable probable cause to arrest Ma because reasonable officers could disagree as to whether California Penal Code Section 314, uh, 314's prohibition on the exposure of private parts includes free female breasts and nipples. For the first time on appeal, Ma argues that the city and LAPD acted with deliberate indifference towards her constitutional rights by incorrectly training officers that Selection 114 applies to female breasts and nipples. We decline to exercise our discretion to consider Ma's uh, waived argument. So it sounds like she lost. And this is really strange. So this portion is basically saying that the... She's saying, hey, I have a constitutional right to not be arrested falsely. And they're saying, well, it's not a false arrest if the officers had a reasonable argument that you were breaking the law and they reasonably have misunderstood this penal code to include breasts in indecent exposure. So the officers were wrong 
Yeah. But because they were because they were reasonable thinking they were being reasonable about it yeah well and, and to me when you were saying it it sounds like there needs to be uh, it needs to be written more clearly then you know because when you no, say but it is it is written clearly that's the thing it, it's yeah. written clearly the officers had a misunderstanding of the law so right. they get out of trouble and she just has to live with having been in jail for 25 hours incorrectly because their understanding of the law was incorrect and that is reasonable in our society which is bullshit if officers make a mistake like that even if they argue that it was a reasonable mistake they should have to deal with the consequences of that mistake yeah not the citizen yeah the officer should definitely we should hold them to that yeah that's crazy to me (laughs) Oh, no, all of this is crazy making. Everything we talk about is crazy making. It's insane. Um, there was actually once a nurse in to protest the London department store Claridge, which told a mother to cover up while breastfeeding. And one woman carried a sign that said, that's what breasts are for, stupid. And that kind of reminds me of what, um, of what, what was her last name again? I don't have it written down in front of Ma, me. Annie that's Ma. what Annie Ma was kind of saying too. Like, like, look, our breasts have a purpose. This is their purpose. But what I liked is that uh, Rachel, the writer of these of this Time article, said, "Except that's not what all breasts are for. They're for whatever a woman wants to do with them. We shouldn't need to glorify breasts or women in order to respect them." And Rumor Willis kind of came out with a lot of. Uh, this argument as well and I find it interesting that there's we're seeing these two um like one of them being an arrest one of them being you know a woman being harassed at a department store for breastfeeding their child so the two things are a little bit different but we kind of see two different sides of this free the nipple argument there kind of is one side that wants uh you to just be looking at breasts completely unsexually as a way to feed children and things like that and just being a part of women's bodies. And then there's also kind of another side that wants to fight for the right of sexualizing nipples when appropriate and not being harassed when doing so. So it's kind of interesting the two arguments of the side. Bare minimum, if any part of my body gives you a boner, that's not my problem. Exactly. Bare minimum. Yeah. Like that's it. And so it's for women, a lot of women are attracted, um, a lot of heterosexual women are attracted to men's chests, right? Like we post topless pictures of men who were like cut or whatever all the time. And we drool over them and we talk about them in a sexual manner. But that is not deemed sexual. Right. I think women are arguing the same for the same thing. Exactly. So your body can serve different purposes, yeah. right? Like, yes, breasts are there to feed babies, um, but men can also be attracted to bare breasts or women can be attracted to bare breasts. Exactly. Anyone can be attracted well, to bare breasts. That's fine. And that's the thing. But I just don't want... I, I There needs to be space within this movement to still accept the fact that there is a time and a place for breasts and nipples to be sexual and that's okay but it is not on the woman like you said it's not on my body that I gave you a boner yes. that's the, yeah. that's any, the you line you can be attracted to any part of my body like yeah. it, it, it's fine but you don't get to tell me what to do with my body because it makes you horny exactly Sorry. Yeah. you know um, so historically women have been arrested they've been charged with public indecency disturbing the peace or lewd behavior for bearing their breasts in public um, even in jurisdictions where there is no law that explicitly prohibits this in New York State female toplessness was made legal in 1990 
Um, and a woman was arrested there in 2005 for appearing topless in public. So she was arrested because, again, these cops don't have a valid understanding of yeah. the law. And she was able to um, appeal that decision in 2005. And the court actually ru- ruled in her favor. And she received $29,000 in damages. Wow. So... Um, there is some precedent for successfully being able to appeal these, these issues. So various court cases in the United States have involved the question of whether women may publicly expose their breasts. There was a case in um, Fort Collins, Colorado. It was free the nipple v. city of Fort Collins, which attempted to remove the provision in the municipal code that prohibited women from revealing their breasts and the federal lawsuit um, won in appellate court. So after Fort Collins had spent something like $300,000 to try and fight this, um, fight allowing women to appear topless in public, they finally decided to stop defending it. And it effectively gave women of all ages the right to go topless wherever men can within this jurisdiction of the Tenth Circuit, which actually covers several different states. But decisions elsewhere... um, have let these laws that prohibit women from going in public topless stay on the books because they say that unlike male chess, female chess are considered erogenous zones. Now. That's not true. (laughs) That is not true. Many men find their nipples to be sensitive. They enjoy nipple play during sexual intercourse. Many men enjoy that. So to say that, Only women derive sexual pleasure from their nipples, and that is why they must be covered up. That is what makes them inherently sexual is blatantly false. I can't even believe they would say that. Yeah, I read something. I read an article. It was more of a scientific article about uh, the discrimination between nipples, uh, even when it comes to animals, things like that. But they were saying that we are the women are the only mammals that have uh, permanently enlarged mammary glands. So most animals will only have enlarged mammary glands when they need to breastfeed and things like that. Women have them all the time. So it's inter- right. there are these people where they're like, well, women's breasts are different because they're the only ones that keep. Okay, but ex- you know, that doesn't mean that they're different in a sexual way. Exactly, but that doesn't make sense. But that's also an argument for why they should be covered up for some people is that because we are the only ones that have enlarged mammary glands that are permanent. I don't understand that argument. I don't either. I don't understand that argument. So there are only two United States um, where mere showing of women's breasts is illegal, and those are Indiana and Tennessee. Um, 14 states and many other cities have laws with kind of like... ambiguous implications on how much booby is allowed to be shown. Yep. Um, again, this is part of what makes this situation so confusing because we can have a certain amount, but not too much. We can have nipples, but not too much. You can be sexy, so, not slutty. Yes. And so that kind of gets us into um, social media. So I really want to talk about social media in relation to the free the nipple movement mm-hmm. and also just 
boobs being exposed, nipples being exposed on social media in general. So every social media platform has their own guidelines and policies regarding um, nudity. So Facebook, for instance, um, will only allow photos of nipples in the context of breastfeeding, giving birth, afterbirth moments, health. So like post mastectomy um, or gender confirmation surgery or as an act of protest. Anything else will be removed. And similarly, um, Instagram has a very similar policy. They will allow nude images that are artistic or creative in nature, um, but they don't explicitly allow nudity on their platform. Right. So nudity in sculptures and paintings are okay, but photography isn't. And I read this article where this woman, Joanne Lee, who is a Brooklyn-based photographer, she said, censoring photography is invalidating it as an art form. Every time someone uh, something gets censored, it feels like a punch in the gut. Yeah. And I think that that's such an interesting way to look at it. And celebrities oftentimes, as we said earlier, get a lot of credit for spreading the free the nipple movement on platforms like Instagram. Right. But it's actually artists who are pushing this because it is invalidating of their art form to say it's fine in sculptures, it's fine in paintings, but it's not fine in photography, even if this is what you do as an artist right. for your livelihood. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, artists are pushing really hard to be able to show you know, naked bodies on Instagram and things like that. I mean, nude bodies are a foundation of art that goes back centuries and centuries. It is like when my dad... In the beginning of time. Yeah, I remember finding... I remember finding my dad's nude sketches from art school when I was younger and being totally mortified. But he was an artist. He had to learn it. That was part of the whole thing. And in photography... Some of the very first sculptures that exist are of nude bodies. Exactly. (laughs) That we've been able to find, you know? And photography is the most... I guess, modern form of, you know, sculpting, painting these old ancient ways that we would uh, show the human experience. We now have photography and we now have Instagram, a way that photographers can share their photos, uh, get their businesses out there. And it hurts them from a business standpoint. If that's what they do and that's what people want to see and they can't put that on Instagram or Facebook or wherever, that takes away from their business. Sorry for the sirens. If you guys can hear that, I apologize. Um, And it's interesting because they've had to get a little bit creative. You know, there's painting over the nipples. There's the flowers. There's the emojis over the nipples. I've done that one before. Um, There's all these different ways that they've had to disguise the nipples to try to kind of get past these Instagram guidelines. But as artists, to me, I would find that offensive. You're asking me to change my art foundationally to make it more palatable for you. And there are people who argue, well, you don't have to use this platform. But like you said, in today's day and age, like this is probably the most used platform that layman's non-artists can get on and and utilize. Well, Instagram for us was a game changer. Like we started this podcast and we didn't start, uh, there was, we posted one photo of Emma Gonzalez and all of a sudden like Instagram went great and the podcast, you know, got more listens because of it. You know, it does, social media is there to help us in this day and age with our art. In in that way, and it it does allow you to control your brand in a way that a lot of artists were not able to do before. So asking them to alter it, I understand where 
where they get upset about that. Yeah. And so in October of 2019, Facebook, which is the company that owns Instagram, they caved to the pressure of artists by hosting a meeting of about two dozen artists and anti-censorship activists um, in Manhattan. And one of those who attended, uh, Michael Hebron, she is an interdisciplinary artist in Los Angeles. Instagram actually paid for her travel to attend this event, but she snapped a topless selfie outside of the building and she tried to post it after the meeting. Almost immediately, her Instagram account was shut down. Yeah. So she started she started creating these um, nipple pasties, oh, yeah. which were of a man's nipple. She took a man's nipple, she cut it out, cut around it, and she started basically distributing them as stickers that could go over, if you posted a topless picture of yourself, just take a man's nipple and put it uh, as a pasty over your yep. n- over your chest, and then you can post it. Well, because yeah. Because a man's nipple is okay, and this but a is, woman's nipple is not. And this is funny because there's actually criteria from Facebook at and Instagram because they're one and the same. This is ridiculous. To tell if a nipple is male or female and this is so problematic. Like as I was... It's mm-hmm. so problematic. So there is criteria. They don't go into what that criteria is, at least not in this article, but they were saying that there are indicators of a person's gender and they admit that the system is imperfect. Um, at this Facebook meeting that you guys, that you were just talking about, Some artists pressed the tech employees on the matter of transgender and non-binary users posting topless images. Uh, Rain Dove, a gender non-conforming model, posted topless images with breasts exposed, and Instagram took the posts down. They would, uh, Dove would repeatedly republish these photos, writing in the caption that Dove does not consider themselves females. Their nipples weren't female either. Dove threatened to take legal action if Instagram continued to take down their posts, and eventually the, the images were allowed to stay. So this brings up a really big question into uh, what that means for the transgender, the non-binary, the non-gender conforming community, because you cannot look at a nipple and be able to say whether or not it is inherently male or female. So this woman who is, let's see what she's in charge of again. She is Instagram's head of public policy, Karina Newton. Uh, She's quoted a lot in this article that Keegan uh, sent me. And she says that if there is context signaling that a user identifies as a man or non-binary, nipple exposure is allowed. But if a trans woman posts an image of their exposed nipples, Instagram will have to remove it. Like this it just, doesn't make any sense. This it seems doesn't like, make any sense. It seems like a you lot should, of work to get rid of girly nipples. Like that's it. It doesn't make sense. You should just allow all nipples. By, by saying that, you are agreeing that nipples are not offensive. Right. You're saying that it's not the nipple itself that is offensive. It's when it is attached to a female identifying body. Exactly. Because you didn't have a problem with that nipple when that body identified as male. Uh But when that body identified as female, publicly identified as female, now you have a problem with that nipple. That same nipple. That doesn't make any sense. It makes no (laughs) sense whatsoever. Yeah. For for a you know, biological male to transition to be a biological female to physically have the same nipples. But now to have fuller mammary glands, that image needs to be taken or down. Even, or even if they don't. That's because true. Because there are non-binary folks who choose not to get top surgery, but identify as female. So 
that nipple is not okay, even if it's on a flat chest, because that person identifies as female. Yeah. So your problem is with the gender of the person, of the way that they identify, not with the nipple itself. That makes no sense. I mean, and that's, it makes and that's no the sense. whole point of this of this topic is that this is a very gender biased issue. That's that's why this is a feminist issue because we are fighting for one very small part of our bodies to be seen as equal to one small part of a man's body as well. And the fact that we have to jump through so many hoops when it comes to social media and our everyday lives to make sure that we are abiding the laws, making sure we're not making people uncomfortable, making sure we aren't being harassed, the life of a woman with boobs and with nipples is not always an easy one. And then you go to the other side where I was reading stories about women who had posted photos after their mastectomies uh, or after they had gotten, you know, their boob jobs done after having to have their breasts removed for breast cancer. Like these are really inspiring, wonderful stories because women, you know, some women don't hold their boobs close to their heart some people really do and that's an, a momentous moment for them to be able to continue to have that very feminine body and so for Facebook to take that down and for us to be policing what they are and aren't allowed to expose of themselves isn't right well yeah it, it doesn't make sense to say that some breasts are okay in some situations and others are not in other situations. It just doesn't make any sense. Right. Uh, I think we need to reframe as a society what we deem to be immoral or lewd. Um, I think that a lot of things that I see on social media are far, far more offensive than a human body. Yeah, I agree. Period. The, the and comments- if it's an issue, if you want to argue that like you don't want your kids exposed to this or that, well, then don't let them on the internet. That yeah. sounds like a you issue once again you know what I mean because yeah. also if you think that your kids if you think that your teenage boys aren't seeking that shit out elsewhere honey yeah it was <laughs> funny I actually was having a conversation about this a little bit not so much with nipples and boobs but with butts yesterday with my friends and we were out sunbathing on my yard because we don't have a pool it's not like there's reason to wear a swimsuit but we were wearing our swimsuits and I have a new swimsuit that is kind of cheeky and I have no butt so it's very not it's not a sexual thing at all, but I have, uh, there's three kids that live next door to me and they were kind of playing outside and stuff. And we all three were kind of like, are we too exposed right now? Like, are we appropriate for the kids that are around? And I eventually was just like, fuck it. They're not my kids. If they don't want to see, if they don't want their kids to see it, they'll bring them inside. And they were inside most of the day. So I don't know if that was because of me or not, but you know? Yeah, it's not your concern as far as that goes. Like, yeah. it's truly not. Like, it's, there's nothing, and this is something that I've had to relearn as a, a recovering Christian. Um, yes. That is something that I've had to relearn is that bodies are not immoral. Yeah. Bodies are not immoral. Sex isn't even immoral, but bodies are also not inherently sexual. Yeah. They're just not. Yep. And to say that women's bodies are more inherently sexual than men's bodies is just strange. Yeah, it is. It's very strange. Well, it goes back to then the, just the history of sexualizing women. Right. You know? And needing to have that control. Exactly. Oh, that well, control. Well, this was a wonderful um, suggestion. Yeah. That again, I'm glad that you suggested it. I actually really enjoyed doing the prep for this episode yeah, and reading well, those articles. I actually want to give a shout out. I just remembered that it wasn't actually just my idea to talk about this. We had a message from somebody and now I'm not going to be able to find it right now because I just remembered, but I'll, I'll make a shout out at the end of the 
maybe the listener notes or something we can add it in. But somebody did write to us saying that they uh, were conflicted about whether or not they should be uh, wearing bras whether or not their nipples should be exposed, how much of their boobs should be exposed. So we did have somebody write to us about how they wanted us to talk about that. And that's what made me think of Free the Nipple and talking about all of this. So to the listener that reached out to us, I hope that this kind of answered some of your questions to how we feel about that. Um, So yeah. Yeah. If you have listener uh, suggestions for us for episodes, please reach out to us. You can do so on our Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. You can also get us on our email at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group and business page. You can leave us a review on our business page and also just hang out in the group. I post in there every now and again. Um, You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love getting your reviews there. You can also find us on Twitter at Yamf Podcast. Y A N F Podcast. Um, you can also listen to us on Radio Public. It is a free way for you to listen, and it helps us out just a little bit. Just a little bit. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. With all of that being said, we encourage you to, to rage on. on. Bye. Bye. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app And find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.